This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Today, I sit down with one of the co-founders of Hope Threads, my friend, Katherine Jackson. Several months ago, I reached out to Catherine regarding a sponsorship opportunity. There is a funny story behind our email exchange, but I'll save that for another time. I had never met Catherine, nor did I know she founded Hope Threads with an acquaintance I had met a few years prior. Fast forward a bit, I was at the gym and saw a familiar face. I eventually realized it was Catherine. I introduced myself and we have connected and conversed at the gym ever since. I share that to say, I believe in the work she is doing with Hope Threads. Hope Threads is an educational workforce program for refugee women in Raleigh, North Carolina. We chat all about how Hope Threads launched, the challenges they face, some of the successes they've experienced, and Catherine gives a 20% off code for listeners towards the end of our time together. Listen to what she says about the ministry of Jesus and walking that out today. And with that, you look all through scripture and what is he doing? He's meeting with the Samaritan woman and he's meeting with and healing the leper. And he is with those that are on the outside and bringing them in. That was his ministry. And so when I'm thinking through my life and how I want to be like Christ and I want to be like Jesus and I can follow what he did. And, you know, I think when it comes to even the word refugee can be very polarizing for people with all the you know, politics going on right now. And I'll be honest, like, I don't sometimes even know a lot of times how I feel about that. But what I do know is that they're here and they're my neighbor and that we are called to love them and to help them. And I feel very passionately about that, that again, his entire ministry, Jesus, while he was on this earth was to bring in the outsider. After listening to today's episode, I hope you're encouraged to look around Notice the outsider, put yourself in their shoes, and respond to the way the Spirit is nudging you to love them. Good afternoon, Catherine. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Amber. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I feel just when I listen to your other episodes, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm on here. So I'm just excited to be here. Oh, I love what you're doing. And so we're going to jump right in and have you introduce yourself and your family and tell everybody a little bit about what you do. I'm Catherine. Um, As I said, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm married to Mark, and we have three kids, seven, five, and three tomorrow, actually. So my baby is turning three. I know. So bittersweet. Um, Yeah, so I am thankful I get to stay home with them, and hardest job I've ever had, Um, (laughs) but very thankful (laughs) I get to. So right now I'm really trying to just balance being a stay-at-home mom and also running Hope Threads, which is what we're going to talk about, empowering and equipping refugee women to sew and make fair wages. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. 
Yeah, well, as we do kind of dig in and talk a little bit more about hope threads, before we do that, I really love to ask my guests, you know, how did your faith journey with Jesus begin? And tell us a little bit about that up until this point. Yeah, so I was raised in a wonderful Christian home. My dad has just retired recently from being a pastor for over 30 years. And so I was very much raised in the church and not just in the church, but really in a home where I really understood the gospel from a young age. So I came to know Christ at a young age around eight after hearing my dad preach one night. Um, and I just talked with him afterwards. So cool. I think I was definitely one of those kids though, that asked Jesus into my heart, like 10 or 12 times, like just to be sure, you know, <laughs> I'm not really sure if it took the first time. So I'm going to like keep going. Eventually, um, you know, middle school and high school, I really came to a place where I really understood what my faith meant. I went to a private Christian school, um, which also I'm very thankful for. And I can look back and say that I really didn't know a lot of what I was choosing. I don't think until really when I went to college, I chose it um, and I was happy to and, and loved the Lord and wanted to live for him. But I really didn't know the difference of not choosing it, what that would make in my life, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when I went to college, I went to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which um, was a big change for me <laughs> in a lot of ways and really great for me as far as my faith goes. I remember my first class when they talked about the Bible and how it was um, a joke and um, it, my faith really was tested for the first time in my life, really. I mean, I really didn't ever have so um, anything in my life where I questioned what I believe. So really, I remember vividly my freshman year, just really kind of wrestling with, okay, do I really believe this? Mm -hmm. Or am I just kind of, you know, hanging on to my parents' coattails through all of this? So I really feel like that's where I grew a lot. I got very involved in Cambridge Crusade and was discipled by some awesome women there. So I really feel like my faith grew a lot in college. But honestly, in marriage has really been where I feel like I can really say that my walk with the Lord is as close as it's ever been just mm -hmm. through pain and trials in, in marriage and just in real life stuff. I'm um, having to choose community and, and choose to be in the word when I don't have to be, you know, yeah. or college, it was kind of like the thing to do. All my friends were and definitely in high school. So really in marriage and in the past few years, I have really walked with the Lord closely than I ever have. Hmm. I love that. And along those lines, sometime you got involved with refugee women and you eventually start this company that's called Hope Threads. And so tell us a little bit about Hope Threads, how you came to be involved with refugee women and then what made you decide to go into a business type model with them? So, like I said, I was raised in a Christian home where my parents often modeled for me what it looked like to share the gospel with others. And when I was in college, my mom started an ESL program at a local refugee community really close to where I grew up in church. And so after I graduated and had kids, I got involved in the ESL program with her teaching women English and did that for about two years and really enjoyed it um, and really started to make some relationships with them. My mom had built a really strong rapport with a lot of them. So they, they trusted her and there was just a really great community thriving there. 
I was actually on vacation and I listened to a podcast <laughs> when it was kind of the new yeah. thing, you know, and podcast had just come out. And I listened to one about Vickery Trading Company, which is a company in Texas. And Stephanie runs that there. And she had started a program for refugee women where she taught them how to sew and make items to pay them fair wages. And a light bulb just went off and I got so excited and just thought, yes, like we need more than English. Yes, they need English. That is the basis of what they need to thrive in this community. But there's so much more that we could offer them. So I, for lack of a better word, I basically stalked her until she (laughs) responded to me um, and asked her if I could basically recreate what she did in Texas here in Raleigh on a much smaller scale. And she was so helpful and so gracious and patient with me as she walked me through every step that she took. And I just wrote down note after note. And uh, basically from that point, I told a friend about it. It was in one of my small groups at Jabala one day. And that's my co-founder, Amy. Yes, where all good things are started. That's right. Um, So that's my co-founder, Amy. And she lovingly pushed me and pushed me and pushed me to go after it and to not just let it be an idea. Mm. I really think if it wasn't for her, I probably would have just said, oh, what a great idea. And, you know, kind of dance around with it and not really ever follow through with anything. So we talked to our small group at the Summit Church and told some of the girls what we were thinking about. We were at a girls dinner one night and wrote a business plan down on a napkin and a bunch of the girls jumped on board. I mean, even just looking back at that to see how the Lord had put three former teachers Um, A photographer, Samantha Kennedy Photography, has done an amazing job with our website and with taking pictures for us. Our teachers, I mean, they started a children's program with a full-on gospel curriculum. We had other another girl that um, was an amazing seamstress that could give us her skills. Amy had run a small business. We all were moms. Like, it was just amazing to see how there were so many skills yeah. that came together to be able to pull this off. So we basically just started a six-week class for the women and advertised it and told them we were just going to do a class and just gauge interest and see where they were as far as their skills. And we had a great seamstress named Erica that ran the class for us, and I had no sewing experience. So I took sewing classes during that time. So that I could <laughs> so that you contribute could teach. a little bit. <laughs> Train, maybe. Yes, exactly. So my sister-in-law and I took sewing classes and we did the six-week class, just basically taught them how to make basic items and saw that they really had a lot of great skills. A lot of them had not ever used a machine, but they had hand sewn oh, yeah. and could crochet and were really creative. So we started making baby items and thought, okay, let's just see if we can sell. So we did a pop-up in my neighborhood and advertise it on social media and sold out of every item we made and gave them their first paycheck in the fall of 2017. So that's kind of where it all started. So back when your mom was teaching ESL classes, what is, was she a teacher? Yes. Was your degree in English? No. Okay. <laughs> My degree was in dental hygiene. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. I know we've talked yes. about this before, but as I'm like listening to you, I'm always trying to put pieces of a puzzle yes, together. Yes, of course. Because I'm always amazed at how so often God takes us in a completely different direction than what we ever imagined. Totally. And then he totally equips us, but it does require quite a bit of faith to um, believe that he's going to equip us <laughs> Yes, and yeah. step out. And so when you first met with this group of women, was it the group of women that were in your mom's ESL classes? 
It was a mixture, yes. So a few of them actually attend um, my parents' church where I grew up. Okay. So they go and pick them up um, Sunday mornings. A lot of their kids attend Awana, and they had built relationships with them. Some of them we did not know, and they just heard through word of mouth that we were doing a sewing class. We let them know that it was our goal to pay them, but that we really had no idea when that would be or what that would look like. So we tried to not overpromise, but we yeah. wanted to let them know that it was our goal to train and equip them and empower them and pay them fair wages. Yeah. So it really came from a bunch of different places where they all came together. So we have Muslim women, uh, mostly from Afghanistan. We have women from Myanmar and we have some women that are, that have been in Raleigh for over 10 years, but all from other parts of the world. Right. So where is Hope Threads held at? Because that's mm-hmm. a story in and of itself. And then what does a workday look like? Yes. So the church that I grew up in, Northridge Bible Chapel, where my parents attend, graciously let us use their space every week, which is just an amazing blessing. Mm-hmm. We don't have to pay rent. Um, we have space for our sewing machines, our materials, anything we need for the children's program. So we meet there once a week and we go pick the women up and their children and bring them back. Laura, who is in charge of our children's program, who again is a former teacher and amazing with kids. I mean, kids just flock to her. (laughs) She preps. Sweetest. I mean, you just can't find a better soul than Laura. Yes. So she preps basically a semester ahead of time for her curriculum and the lesson. And it's gospel centered. They're walking through creation right now. And it's just amazing to see how this is just such an important part of what we're doing because these kids likely would not hear the gospel in any other way. And so we're able to get into their homes through their kids, through maybe even a craft or a song or something that they're learning Because, of course, we want to pay them fair wages. We want to empower and equip them. We also want them to know Jesus. And we want their kids to know Jesus. So the children's program is just such a huge part of what we do. And and it also helps with one of the obstacles they face, which is childcare. That they have kids that they're home with just like us, you know. And if their kids are small enough to where they can't be in preschool or they can't afford it, we have a space for them to come or they're well taken care of. So we run the children's program. So many amazing volunteers that come from both from Northridge, from the summit. That's really another amazing thing is that probably five or six churches are represented at Hope Threads. And so we're all coming together to pull this off. And I just love that, that yeah. we're all able to unite in that way and serve these women and their kids. So we have the children going into their program. The women come into the sewing room and also into a jewelry making room. We've partnered with Windblown Jewelry. Rachel Calhoun has also um, just been amazing to partner with. And she is teaching two of the women how to make her jewelry, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm giving them just another skill that they can that they can take with them. And so we work for about an hour and a half and we have um at the end we have a time of prayer and where we do a uh, devotion. One of us leads them in a time of scripture and I'll be honest we were very nervous about how to incorporate this. Again, a lot of them are very strict Muslims coming into a non-denominational church which is mm-hmm. sort of a miracle in and of itself that they even step foot into the church. Um, But we wanted to be very open about the gospel and that that was really a part of our mission. 
So we read scripture with them, trying to translate it into their language. And then we ask them if there's anything we can pray for. And it's in the very beginning, it was like crickets. Everyone looked around (laughs) and it was very awkward. And we second guessed ourselves. Is this what we're supposed to do? We all felt, you know, this is what God is calling us to do. We have to be bold and faithful in proclaiming his message. And this is the great commission is right here. They're literally coming to us. They're in our neighborhoods and we're able to walk that out. So we kept going and a few months in, we would ask for prayer. And then it was like something just clicked and they all just started sharing and telling us about their kids and struggles they were having at school and asking to help learn English and their husbands are without a job. And so that's really when it felt like, okay, like we're building relationships with them because it can feel really slow. There's a lot of walls up and barriers with the culture, with the language. There's just so much that can get in the way. So we felt like Really, when we started talking about prayer, which they agree with, they they pray. Right. They may not be praying to the same God, but we're all praying, yeah. and we all can agree that we need prayer. So we um, make that a priority every week, even if you know things are crazy. We're not getting our production done. We always make sure that that's something that we end with. Um, so then we take them home, and then of course, there's a lot of behind the scenes, you know, yeah. that that goes into setting up the space and tearing down the space and running the website, as I said, but that's a typical work day for us. And then a lot of orders and shipping out the rest of the week, but that's a production day for us. And so when the women are there and working right now, they're working one day a week, correct? Producing everything. And then, so for some people who may be listening, who don't really know, like, what do you mean when you say fair wages? Yes. Great question. So Fair wages, and that's, um, you know, one of the things that's been really difficult to educate people on is what is a fair wage and and what does that mean? Basically, when you most of the time go to Target or anywhere where you're buying, let's say, a baby item, because that's what we sell. If you're buying a, a bib that's $4, the person that made that bib is likely making somewhere around 25 cents, which is obviously not a sustainable living wage. So we are paying them above minimum wage for Mm -hmm. their work and giving them a working condition that is safe for them. So basically when you say fair wages, you're saying above minimum wage and a a living environment. Yes. And something that is available to them that is sustainable for their income. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges you face? I know you've said a few as far as in cultural and language and, you know, just the fact that there's a different religion. But um, yeah, just dig into that and tell everybody a little bit about the challenges of working with people who are just so much different. Yes, definitely. Acculturating for them is a huge challenge for them and also for us. So not just to the United States, but also just to working. A lot of them are just not women where they come from. That is just not part of their daily life. They stay home with their children. They are not used to working outside of the home. So trying to, again, not just pay them a fair wage, but train them and mimic a a business environment for them so they understand you have to be on time. Mm. You have to let us know if you are not coming. You cannot just not come because you're tired. (laughs) These have all been things that we've had to explain to them in a loving way, but that's been very difficult, just a different culture. For them, if you say we'll pick you up at 10, that's anywhere between 945 and 1045. 
so we've had to um, sometimes leave and they understand that, you know, if you're not there at 10 o'clock, you're not going to get picked up. Um, and then communication in that aspect. So we are really, that's one of our, our goals for this year is to continue speaking the truth to them in love and helping them to understand that in any other job in the U.S., there are things that are expected of you if you want to keep that job. We are really working hard at training them in that way. Another challenge, um, again, like we just talked about, is educating America on fair wages. So people sometimes have asked us why our items can be on the more expensive side. And so explaining that, for example, the teething toy that we have on our website is $14. You could probably buy a teething toy on Etsy or, or somewhere else for five or six dollars. Right. And when you go down the the item list of each what the ring costs, the fabric, the crinkle that's inside, the labor, the packaging, six dollars and twenty-one cents for us. And so when we sell it for fourteen dollars, wholesale is likely at seven dollars. We have about a seventy-nine cent profit margin. Yeah. (laughs) So people just, you know, and I I didn't understand either. A lot of talking with Stephanie from Vickery Trading Company, um, there's a documentary called The True Cost and they talk through, yeah, it's really eye-opening to see just how- it is on Netflix, so please. It is. Yeah. And YouTube and Amazon Prime, all of those. I just was looking at that last night. But so- and in that, there's a huge margin of mistakes when you're starting out. So we're buying fabric and making things that are not sellable. So you're having to factor that in. There's so many factors that come in when you're trying to pay people, multiple people, over a certain dollar amount. And our, our goal is way more than minimum wage, but that's our, that's our minimum for them. So. Yeah. That's been a challenge. I've had even some of my friends be like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were going to charge, you know, over $20 for something. And I was, you know, okay, this is a nonprofit organization. No one's making making... money off of (laughs) everything we make is, is going back into buying our materials or paying them. And we're also getting a lot for free. We're not paying for rent. We're not paying our children's program volunteers. We have so many volunteers that come. Anyway, I could talk about that forever, but that's definitely but it been is a, a challenge good perspective when you, because it is just something in a consumer driven society like ours that, I mean, I didn't think about it either. You're, we're just so used to you walk in any store and you can pretty much buy anything you want. And if it's too expensive, you just go somewhere else and find it cheaper. But that does come at a cost to human beings that we Absolutely. just don't consider. Absolutely. I mean, these you know, places overseas where they're being forced to work in, in conditions that are not livable, that are, I mean, it, a lot of it's abuse for yes, them. And so is. that's been um, something that's been really just life-changing for me and how I shop and how I think about things and, you know, even just how much things cost. Also, just one other challenge I think has just been, again, with our wholesale partnerships and trying to adapt our business model so that we can have profit in order to pay them and and get back into our business. Um, When I first started this, I had no idea how to run a business. I still really don't, (laughs) but I'm just learning learning as I go and wholesale and all of that, you know, really plays a a huge part of that. Um, When we first were starting out, we were talking with the boutique and showing them our items and just trying to get some feedback. And she said, yeah, why don't you just send over your line sheet um, whenever you get a chance and I'll look over it and I said, yes, I'll, I'll send that right over. And then, 
as a as a great businesswoman, I've looked down and Googled what is a lion. lion teeth? <laughs> Praise God for Google. So, there are yes. good things about Google. It's not all yes. bad. Yes. Yeah. I mean, those are just some some areas where it's just been a huge learning curve for us. We just haven't known what the fashion world or retail, wholesale, all of that is so new. So we're just really learning as we go along. I know, but it does. It's like I said earlier, it takes such faith and courage to step out and do that when you don't know. And so often fear can keep us back from that because there's a lot more that goes into it than just selling a product, you know? Absolutely. And then you're taking on people who, like you said, don't even have quite the same working model. And I think that's amazing because at this point we have seen and I we've heard so many people just be like, well, if you're going to live here, you have to do things the way we're doing. Well, yeah, you know, sometimes just like we do, they need help even understanding what that means. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And can you imagine, I mean, not speaking the language and then, you know, not looking like everyone else having a different way that you dress having, I mean, everything is new for them. So they really need people to come alongside them and help them show them. Yeah. And I mean, people need to understand too, that, you know, a, a refugee is not someone who's just choosing to come here. They're coming here because something has happened. They would much Mm. rather be in their own country if it was a safe place to be. Absolutely. Yes. A lot of them, the trauma that they've been through to get here and their families are separated and they don't have support here. And it's a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, a lot for them. to deal with for sure. Yes. We've talked about all of the challenges, but what keeps you really pressing on? Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's really helpful for me to even think through that and process that even out loud, mm-hmm. because I'll be honest, it can be difficult for me. Um, and, and all of us, there's so yeah. many people that come together every week and there can be days where it just feels tiring or you feel like you're not getting anywhere. And I think just remembering that ultimately Jesus was a refugee. And with that, you look all through scripture and what is he doing? He's meeting with the Samaritan woman and he's meeting with and healing the leper. And he is with those that are on the outside and bringing them in. That was his ministry. And so when I'm thinking through my life and how I want to be like Christ and I want to be like Jesus and I can follow what he did. And, you know, I think when it comes to even the word refugee, it can be very polarizing for people mm-hmm. with all the, you know, politics going on right now. And I'll be honest, like, I don't I sometimes even know a lot of times how I feel about that. But what I do know is that they're here and they're mm-hmm. my neighbor yeah. and that we are called to love them mm-hmm. and to help them. And I feel very passionately about that, that again, his entire ministry, Jesus, while he was on this earth was to bring in the outsider. And I also think about how I don't deserve to have been born in Raleigh, North Carolina to the family Mm -hmm. that I was born into and to not have these challenges that they have. Right. I think about just as a mom, really seeing them when I was teaching ESL, when one of their little ones would come in and they would, you know, skin their knee or something, they'd pick them up on their lap. And I just kept thinking, they're moms just like me every day with challenges and, you know, what are we going to do today? And they can't drive and they can't take them to defy gravity and (laughs) these other things to get all this energy out. I just keep thinking about how I have it so easy Easy. Mm -hmm. compared to so many people and life is still really hard. Yeah. And so I think I'm just reminded that 
um, this is what Jesus really has called me to do, especially in this stage of my life that I can give because of how I've been given so much that I don't deserve. And I didn't even have a choice in the matter and neither did they. So that really keeps me motivated to think about all those things. So a lot of the women, I mean, they mainly, the ones you guys work with live in the same community here in Raleigh, correct? Yes. Yeah. So tell our listeners, if somebody is here in Raleigh in the Triangle area, what are some ways that we can help out with Hope Threads and just the refugee community? Yeah, there are lots of great ways. That's actually one of our goals for 2020 is to just increase in the community. Um, Like we just did a Zumba night at the YMCA and trying to bring people together. Um, Refugee Hope Partners has a really large presence at the local community where we work and they do an after school program where they do homework help. They also do the ESL program in the summer. They do a read and swim program. They always have ways that people can get involved as often or as little as people would like. Um, You can also give financially to them and help. If people want to get directly involved with Hope Threads, we are always looking for volunteers, especially in our children's program. There are a lot of kids (laughs) we are so thankful for. Again, that is like, honestly, it feels like sometimes even more important than our sewing is what these kids are being taught. There's a lot of little ones, but we always need help volunteering there. And then really sharing what you hear about Hope Threads and Refugee Hope Partners and There are many practical ways through giving of our sponsorship program where you can train a woman for the six weeks. Um, You can give monthly. You can give a one-time gift. There's just so much that you can't even anticipate that happens that just costs a lot of money. And I know Refugee Hope Partners, um, the same thing. They're helping people by taking them to doctor's visits and helping kids with their parents at their parent-teacher conferences. There are so many ways that yeah, people can get involved and yes, mentors. And like you yep. said, almost like the mediator between the two, because they've got to have the translator and they, yeah, there's so many things going on. Absolutely. Yep. There's so many. And I think just to encourage people to not get overwhelmed with all the options, just yeah. make a choice and just do one thing. You don't have to do everything. That's right. Just do one thing. And it honestly, you think about you're helping other people, but it really feels like it helps me. I mean, just get outside of myself. I can Mm -hmm. just get so caught up in my own world and my own pain and struggles. And I realize like there are so many people around me that I can help, but they end up just pouring into me by seeing how they love their kids and seeing how they're fighting for their families and they're fighting for their families to stay together, just like I am. And and that's something too with like, I mean, as Christians, we can oftentimes have a little bit of that, you know, we need to serve people and we're going to help them. And we get a little bit of that savior complex when in reality, Christ wants more of our heart. And the reason why Mm. we serve people is because he's asked us to do it, not because we feel like they need us so much, but instead it's more of like, there's needs everywhere. And so even if you choose to not go and work with refugees, choose something. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. To love people around you. It's so true. And there are so many things. This just happens to be that right here in the Raleigh area and in most cities around the world, there are people who are hurting in a lot of different Mm -hmm. ways. And refugees just happen to be one of those people groups 
that need quite a bit of assistance when it comes to communication and transportation and all of those types of things. Absolutely. There's so many avenues, so many ways to help. Yeah. Well, tell us, do you have an impact story or two from Hope Threads and your time with the women that you could share with our listeners? Yes. This story is so near and dear to my heart and really recent. We had a wonderful volunteer that came in from the very beginning and and jumped in with us. Her name was Laura. And she was in her 60s, so her kids were grown. So she had the time to come help us volunteer. And she right away just jumped in with both feet and was totally on board. Um, There's an artisan that we employed. I'm going to call her Maria. And she and Lara both shared a physical ailment in one of their legs from polio when they were kids. Mm. And so my mom had known Maria for a few years and had known Lara through church and said, I just think it would be wonderful to put them together because they could really bond over this. And even though there's a huge communication barrier, it would just make them both feel comfortable. So we had them work one-on-one together for quite some time. And um, they both would crochet and um, really honed their skills. And, and Laura showed her how to sew on a machine. And they just worked one-on-one very closely together for many months. Well, about six months ago, Laura was diagnosed with stage four cancer um, and had to stop coming because she just was not feeling well. And so we let the women know. And it was obviously heavy for us as we told them. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And I was really discouraged, to be honest with you, when we told them because there was just such a lack of emotion and and connection. I just thought, Oh Lord, like, are we, are we doing anything here? Like, does this matter? And I just felt frustrated with it. We kept going on and we would send Laura messages and emails and pictures of everything. And she passed away about three Mm. weeks ago and we let the women know what had happened, told them when her services were going to be. Well, Maria um, was not there the day that we let the women know what had happened. She was sick. And so when she came back the next week, I sat down beside her and I said, I know that you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, but I just wanted to let you know that Laura passed away. And she didn't understand what I was, what I was trying to tell her at first. I had to say it a few times. And finally, when she understood, she looked at me and she just burst into tears Mm -hmm. and just sobbed for about seven or eight minutes. Um, And I was able to tell her that Laura now has a new body and that she is with Jesus and that she's no longer in pain. And I told her how much she loved her and that she loved working with her. And this just coming from a woman that is probably one of the stricter Muslims that we have in our, in our group. And again, just the, the show of emotion really was so encouraging for me to see, even in such pain for all of us and losing Laura, but to see that she really is making an impact and the Lord was really using her Mm -hmm. as she sat with Maria every week, even if they weren't able to talk that much, that it really impacted her and affected her. And and with that, her daughter, Maria's daughter, who is in kindergarten, she wanted to come with some of the first weeks that we had done the children's program. We had first started the class, hopped on the, the van to go home and held up a big picture of a cross And we all kind of held our breath like, oh, no, how's this going to go? 
And her mom looked at us and looked back at her daughter and just smiled really big and said, it's beautiful. And I just held back tears because I just thought she's allowing her daughter to hear the gospel because of what we're allowing her to learn and to be trained in. And there's no way that she would allow that. Otherwise. Yeah. And so stories like that, again, that's one of the things that keeps you going. You remember just the impact and, and how maybe for generations to come that starting with a little child with a craft um, of a cross and how that could change their family's life. So, yeah. And I mean, it takes courage for someone like Maria to step out and let her child. Absolutely. It does that way. And I think sometimes as believers, we just think, Oh, because we believe our way is the only way that everybody else should just fall down before that. But that's, I mean, it takes courage for them to go against something that they've been taught and believed in their whole life, too. And that's amazing because there is bar- there are barriers being broken down Absolutely. There about, you know, religious beliefs, cultural beliefs. And that just takes time and it takes community mm-hmm. to happen. It does. And it's it's slow a lot of times. You know, like I said, you wonder, is, is anything happening? But yeah, I think about, for me would I send my kids to a mosque or, or somewhere that we were so unfamiliar with to let them right. hear? That would be a huge, with my whole family believing in Christianity, that would just not be okay. Right. So like you said, for them to do that is huge yeah, for them. It takes a lot, a lot of, courage. of courage. Yeah. I mean, there's a book and I, I know I've mentioned it to you before, but DL Mayfield, she wrote Assimilate or Go Home. And there's something mm-hmm. that she writes in one of the chapters where she's talking about just that lack of shown emotion over actually a child being born. And at the end of the chapter, she just talks about how the reality was that these refugees had just seen so much pain and suffering in their own Mm -hmm. conditions back in their own country that it did keep them emotionally separated from a lot of things like when deaths were spoken of or when babies were born because a lot of times people lost their babies. And so when you you begin to think about somebody else's life experience, you know, your empathy really does change. Yes, they've been taught to stuff a lot of emotions surrounding trauma and Refugee Hope Partners is, is partnering with UNC and, and bringing mm. in counselors and therapists to help them walk through a lot of their trauma because, so awesome. as you can imagine, that's a huge, that's a huge challenge for them in just yeah. day-to-day life. Yeah, I mean, we see it all the time and people we know trauma affects absolutely every part of your life absolutely well tell me what would you like to see for hope threads in the future in 2020 or you know just any time in the next couple of years what do you hope to see happen yeah man I have so many dreams for hope threads for 2020 specifically we would love to see our sponsorship program grow that I briefly mentioned beforehand Um, There's been people that have gotten in touch with me and have wanted to be invested financially, but don't necessarily need a baby item or don't necessarily want to buy earrings, but they want to be invested financially. So this is a way that people can do that. So we'd love to see 25 new sponsors for us monthly. Um, You have the option of giving just a one-time gift, or you can do it recurring every month. That's a goal for us. And then also just to continue to build community, like I mentioned with Zumba with the YMCA and we've done popsicle parties at our local community with them and 
continuing to build relationships with them outside of Hope Threads, which can be a challenge with families and particularly if men are involved, that's often a barrier for them. So trying to navigate that and just allowing our community to see that, again, just how we feel bonded to them as as moms, that we can bond with them in ways that are not necessarily natural. I mean, when we went to the Zumba class, it was, I mean, (laughs) none of us had any idea what we were doing. And that's why we chose it. So we could all be, you know, kind of on a level playing field. And I think the the music was actually Spanish. So like none of us spoke the language <laughs> that was being that was being played. So we all just laughed and had a great time together. And it was so bonding for us. And we didn't have to speak. You know, it was just right. something that we did together that we'll always remember. So also we want to expand our social media presence. Yeah. We have an amazing intern named Bennett um, who's worked closely with my sister-in-law, Brooke, and they have done a great job with our social media you know, even through how, Amber, you found me through Molly and, um, you know, these women that are just highly influential on social media and stand behind our mission. We really want to partner with people that are excited about what Hope Threads is doing. You know, we have no interest in just gaining followers, but we just want people that are going to be excited and be on board for what we're doing and supporting these women. So we're looking to partner with at least five of those over the next year Mm -hmm. and and try to expand um, our social media presence with them. And then also working on our wholesale partnerships. We have quite a few exciting ones in downtown Raleigh and Apex and North Hills that we've recently partnered with. So we're, we're looking to expand in that area as well. Again, that's just been a learning curve for us. You know, selling in person is wonderful and it takes a lot of time and energy right. that as a stay at home mom with three kids yeah. and all the volunteers that we have, you know, are, are moms and are trying to balance either working part time or staying home. So wholesale is really going to be important for us, I think, right. in 2020. So trying to work on our profit margins and all of the, the business model um, aspects in order to support that is really important for us. Well, and speaking of the sponsorship, where, if someone is interested, where can they go to learn more about that or sign up for that? Yes. So you can give to our sponsorship program through our website, which is hope-threads.com. And at the very bottom, it says support, and that will link you to our sponsorship program. And you can then choose which amount you'd like to give recurring or or one-time gift. Awesome. Well, and tell everybody, before we go into our final questions, uh, where can people find Hope Threads? Yes, hope-threads.com. And then also um, Instagram is at hope.threads. We have a Facebook page. And also for your listeners, we want to offer a 20% off discount over orders of $30 with the code GRACE20. Yes, through December the 14th. So we'd love for you to hop on over again. It's hope-threads.com. And you can shop there. We have everything from scrunchies and earrings to baby items. Lots of fun things for you to shop there. Yeah, and so you guys can enter, did you say GRACE20? Yes, Great Christmas gift, ladies, and also yes. particularly the scrunchies are super cute. And let's just say, not just teenagers love them, mamas love That's them, right. my seven year old daughter loves them. You know, it's all <laughs> the rage. All these 80s mommies who grew up in the 80s, early 90s were like, scrunchies are back. Oh, my word. So crazy. It's back. I just heard today that now it's like a thing that you 
girls are giving their scrunchies to boys oh, as gosh. like I know. I'm like, please oh, don't, gosh. please don't taint the scrunchies. Like, <laughs> please just let them be scrunchies. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, we like to close our show with a few questions, and so. As you know, growing up in a Christian family, we really do experience the grace of God on a daily Mm. basis. But will you share a time in your life or an incident in your life where you really feel like you've had to cling to the grace of God? Oh, man. Yes. That rings so true for me right now in this season of my life as I am navigating just difficulty and pain in my marriage. And we have, you know, quickly realized that when we got married at 22 and 23, we really had absolutely no idea what we were committing to. We thought it'd be super fun, you know, to have a sleepover every night and, you know, realizing that we are two very broken people Mm -hmm. that got married and have a lot of baggage that comes with that. And so navigating right now through a lot of pain and hardship in my marriage and working through that with my husband, I have never known what it has felt like to really cling to my Lord more than I have right now, really not knowing what my future would hold at times. And I feel like his grace and mercy has just been poured out on my family, even through pain, even through things that people would say, that's not mercy, that's not grace, but God has allowed me to see that I need him and I can't continue to live independent of him. And he's brought pain, I think, to really show me that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have never experienced God's grace in the way that I have through pain, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I've lived such a honestly pain-free life. Most of my childhood, I I really had no, and somebody would ask me, what has been the most painful thing you've experienced I don't know that I really would have had anything to say. And in these past few years, that has changed. And now I do know what true pain is. And I know the Lord in a way that I never would have known without it. Um, And Hope Threads, honestly, too, in, in another way, again, has been able to honestly be such a safe place for me to yeah. be able to get outside of myself and in you know, honestly, there'd be days where I probably wouldn't have wanted to get out of bed and Mm. I I really wouldn't want to keep going. So having something that I can put my energy and use my brain for in Mm -hmm. a different way has really been God's grace in my life. And he has just shown grace in, I can't even begin to tell you all the ways, but he has protected my family from so many things that really we shouldn't be, our family shouldn't be together today, but by God's grace, we're working on it. Well, it's interesting too. I mean, just because I know a little bit of your story, how it's just crazy that God will sustain you sometimes in a way that when you look around at the world, you've, you've seen the same situation fall apart time and time and time and time again. And I'm not the one to say that God's grace is not sustaining them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that sometimes the easiest way out is to not just sit and let his grace pour over you and still live in the pain. Absolutely. And the world tells you, you know, you don't deserve that. You don't deserve to go through pain like that. You deserve to be happy. And, you know, I believe that marriage really isn't to make us happy. Mm, It's to make us holy, Mm -hmm. you know, which is painful and not always fun. (laughs) 
Um, but I think about what, again, even through, it's kind of a similar, you know, how God has blessed us and given us things that we don't deserve. God treated me that way. So I can do the same for my family and for my husband because of what he's given me. So it just, you know, continues to be the well that you, that you pull from when you're able to, to move forward. So true. Tell us if you could sit down with your great grandkids sometime far, far from now, (laughs) um, what is some wisdom you would like to share with them? Hmm. Yeah. I think I would like to tell them that life is really not about you. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think just as kids, you know, and even myself, like growing up, I just, I had such a great life and was given so much. And I really want my kids and my grandchildren and my great grandchildren to see that most of the world is not white and rich and lives in you know, a three-story home, um, with a fenced in backyard. That's just Attending not a private school and exactly. Mm-hmm. And not that any of those things are wrong or bad I or know. any of that. Those are all things that can be used for such good, but it's also not the majority of the world. Mm-hmm. And I really, through hope threads and through working with refugees, I really want my kids to just have their eyes opened to not just our school or our neighborhood, but to the world and that we don't have to go to Africa or to Iraq to mm-hmm. see those people that they are here too. Yeah. Um, and that we don't have to live separately from them. And that again, I keep coming back to the great commission. Like we are called to go, but we're also called to stay mm-hmm. and we're called to stay here and to preach the good news to those around us. Yeah. And I just really want my kids to not live in a bubble of Christianity and, and not understanding that, you know, that's not really how most of the world believes or thinks. And of course I want to protect them as much as I can, but I also want them to see that again, just like I was saying, pain and and hardship and even trauma and going through things that are hard is really God's invitation to us to come closer to him. It's not a punishment. It's not that he doesn't care about us or he's this far away God but that he wants us to walk more deeply and closer with him. My prayers for my kids have just changed. You know, I've always wanted them to, you know, please protect them and please don't let them go through this pain. And now I'm like, honestly, I think I I just keep praying, like bring them pain, but the less amount of pain that you can allow them to see <laughs> to what you want them to see. Right. Yeah. Yes. Because it, it truly is. It changes you in a way that nothing else can. And so I'm I'm thankful for that. And I, I really want my kids to understand what that's like from a young age. Again, not in a traumatic or a really painful right. way, but in the way that God can, can really use it in their lives to reach other people. Yes. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for being here today. And I do just want to encourage everybody to visit Hope Threads. And if you have any questions, you can find them on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. They've been so kind to sponsor so many of my episodes. And so I'm grateful to have you on today. Thanks so much, Amber. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources at graceenoughpodcast.com. Also visit hope-threads.com and use grace20 at checkout for 20% off a $30 purchase. Be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the Grace Enough podcast. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. If you share the show on social media, please use the hashtag Grace Enough Podcast or tag me at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.